Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everyone. This is Pastor Winfred Burns once again with the Word on Wednesday, where we have been for the past year engaged, or it's actually better than a year now, a year in April, May, almost 13th, going on the 14th month of a study that began in 1 Samuel, and we have worked our way through 2 Samuel chapter uh, 17, and tonight we'll be in 2 Samuel 18, and the title of tonight's lesson is God's Strategy for Your Battle. That's our lesson title tonight, and I would pray that you would pray with me as we listen and hear from God concerning our battle, because you do know we're in a fight, and it is a fight for faith. It is a fight that involves the Lord of our lives. It's, the, it's a fight that you will see is a flesh versus spirit fight. And who will control that territory that you now possess? Who will control you and your life? Will it be your flesh, a fleshly king? Or will it be the Spirit of God? That's what we're going to discuss tonight. And, and you'll see it play out in this story in, 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 in 2 Samuel chapter 18. And so I pray that you would grab your Bibles, that you would get pen and paper, that you would consecrate your hearts and minds during this next hour as we go and discuss God's strategy for your battle. Amen? Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Most gracious and eternal God, how we love you, how we praise you, how we bless you. For you are good, and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, O oh God, that you have called us to this place and time. We thank you, O oh God, that, that you have allowed our ears to hear and our eyes to see. And now, O oh Master, we ask that once again that you would speak to us by your spirit through your word. Speak in such a way that we can comprehend and apply, that we might bring you glory and honor on this earth, that we might advance the kingdom of God in the earth realm, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, we thank you and we praise you. Now let your spirit rest, rule, and abide. Let your spirit lead and guide. Let your spirit empower us tonight as we search your word to do your will. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And before we go any further, hey, Ned, hey, Rashad, how y'all doing? Hey, before we go any further, I want to, 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 to just say this real quick to those who don't know that Jesus uh, about Jesus and what he has done. For those of you who don't know what God has already done for you, I want to tell you tonight that your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Your sins are forgiven. You might be you might be sitting in your kitchen right now wondering, you know, what is he saying? Why is he saying that? Your sins are forgiven. You know that guilt that you're always traveling with, that worry that you always travel with, uh, what, what's going to happen when I die, and what God going to say to me? I will tell you right now that you don't have to worry about that anymore because your sins are forgiven. Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. And when he died on that cross and paid for your sins, God has announced that that's, that, that account is settled. So how do you, what do you need to do now? You need to take the gift that God has given you. And what is that gift? That gift is salvation. And how do I accept that gift? First of all, it requires you to believe and act upon what you believe. It requires you to turn from where you're at right now and the way you're going and turn to God. It, it requires you to make a confession of your belief. And how, what do you say? You say, look, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you're saved. And I will get the opportunity to welcome you into the kingdom of God. I get a chance to welcome a new brother and a new sister just because you believe the message of God that Jesus came to die for your sins, that he has died for your sins and given you this salvation, that he is the Son of God. And if you believe that and you made that confession, you are saved. So what do you do next? You go find another Christian, another church, a pastor, and you tell them, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God and I asked him to be my Savior. And then watch what they do. They're going in and, and you ask them, so what do I do now? They'll take you and they'll explain salvation to you even better than I just did in more detail. They will take you and they will begin to show you what your next steps are, how to grow as a Christian, how to grow as a child of God, how to get closer to God. They'll teach you about prayer. They'll teach you about reading the Bible and knowing God. They'll lead you in a lifestyle that will bring you closer and closer to God. They'll help you to grow in grace. And if you've done that tonight, welcome to the family. God bless you and God keep you. So, and with that said, turn in your Bibles to um, Psalm 62. Because the, the reason why I want to start at Psalm 62 and rather than in Psalm 18 is, you know, a lot of times when you're going through stuff and when we're going through the Bible, we have no idea. We, uh, oh, excuse me, let me say it a different way. As we're going through the Bible, we forget that these people who we just think are of as biblical characters actually have feelings. 
as just like we go through and we feel and have wave after wave of emotion and have to get through the emotion of the situation to 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 find uh, how we feel about this thing and how we're going to react in this situation david who is a passionate man is filled with emotions he's going across you remember we we read earlier that 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 as he walked across the Kidron Valley and, and toward the Mount of Olives, how he went weeping, how he was just overwhelmed with emotion during this period of testing. Well, and then he has fled to Maniahim, and how he's feeling with all of this stuff. My son, my own son trying to kill me. Well, we believe that his feelings are captured in Psalm, both Psalm 61 and, verse Psalm, and, and Psalm 62. And I just want you to read and grasp his attitude that he recorded in Psalms 62. Because, I mean, this is a time of turmoil for David. And so here's what he writes in Psalm 62. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Oh, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My, righty, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of higher estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hope on robbery. If riches increase, Set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. David here, his attitude here shows that he is at rest in God. He is aware of the situation. He's aware of all of the circumstances that surround, but he has placed himself in the hand of God. Now, now this, the background of this story that we'll read tonight tells that David is submitted. Remember when we were going through this, um, one of the things that we saw in um, 
Second uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 25, when the priests were there and they were getting ready to take the, the uh, ark and go with David, David sends the ark back. And remember what he says in Second Samuel chapter 25, then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it, see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. So David literally has placed himself, has humbled himself, and placed himself under the hand of God. Again, over in chapter 16, uh, verse 10, where, where uh, uh, Abishai wants to kill Shimei, who is cursing David, what does David say? Verse 10, but the king says, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing that I am receiving today. In the midst of all his trials, as told to us by his attitude recorded in Psalm 62, as well as his actions as he is moving away from Jerusalem towards Maniahim, what his actions tell us is that David has submitted himself to the will of God. And that's really important that, that, that we see that because that's going to frame all of his actions uh, from, from this point forward. And that's also a part of God's battle strategy for your life. And remember, it begins with submission. It begins with humbling ourselves unto God. It, it begins with us making ourselves lower. Instead of David just getting all puffed up in himself and said, kill him, because he's coming up against me. God, you're wrong for treating me this way and going to fight with God and the will of God. David says, no, no. He said, let it go. If this is the way God wants it to go, so be it. So in this chapter, what we see, uh, what we got to remember now, and I, I'm going to get you back up to speed. I'm showing you a bunch of things at once, so keep up. David has fled to Maniahim. Absalom has listened to the advice of Hushai and disdained the advice, the, the advice of Ahitophel. Ahitophel, seeing that his advice has not been adhered to, has decided and understands that this boy is going to lose. And when he loses and David returns to power, that David is going to kill me. And Ahitophel decides, 
I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of killing me. So the Bible tells us that Ahithophel goes and he puts his affairs in order and he commits suicide. David's prayers concerning Ahithophel were answered because, remember, David prayed that God would frustrate the advice of Ahithophel and that advice has been frustrated. And now David's strategy begins to gel together. David escapes across the Jordan River before Absalom can muster the troops necessary to go after him, and he gets into a walled city, and this is where we pick up chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 1, I'll I'll, I'll read in the NIV. Ready? David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent the troops out, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, you must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. So first of all, what he does is he positions himself, his men, for the battle that they will engage in. One of the first rules that Christians have to understand is in spiritual warfare, there must be prayer and there must be positioning. In spiritual warfare... In your battle, your battle is preceded by prayer and then positioning. The strategy of the Christian in battle does not begin until he or she has spent time in prayer. You see, so oftentimes we are reactionary and we move into a fight before we have orders. We begin to operate in a way that does, is not supported by Scripture. We get in a whole lot of fights and we lose a, lose a whole lot of fights because we get in fights in ways that we are not supposed to get into them. And sometimes we engage in fights and it's not the season for fighting. I want, you to, I want you to hang on to that because what has, what's happened? What's happening? What, what are the positioning? What is the positioning that we see? Well, you see that David divides the men up in three, in, into three groups, but you're forgetting. There's still some more positioning going on. What about the prayer part of it? Who's praying? Where, where is the ark at and who is with the ark? The priest and the prophets are getting a word from God. 
they are back in Jerusalem in the, at the ark interceding. The prophet, remember what he said to, to, to uh, uh, Zadok, aren't you a seal? Don't you hear from God? Don't you get a word from the Lord? And so he positions them in prayer so he can receive a word from God. He can understand how God is operating in the situation so then he can get the proper strategy. So you've got uh, Abiathar and Zadok back in Jerusalem lifting up in praise and worship and prayer and getting a prophetic word from the Lord. And then you have their sons who are running from Jerusalem back in back to David's camp to get the word to God. That's part of the overall strategy. David is, this is a strategy that he often employs. If we go back into David's battle, what, what, what does David constantly go and do when he gets into battle? He asks the Lord, shall I go up? How shall I proceed? Will I win? And what does God do? God gives him a strategy always to defeat the enemy. We've gone through this in, in, in Samuel on several different occasions. And, and don't, get it, don't get it twisted. You see, although we are reviewing a physical battle in this chapter, what, we, what it really is is a spiritual battle. Though you as a Christian are in a physical battle, you might be battling your health. You might be battling financial issues. You might be battling with people on the job. You might be battling depression. You might be battling oppression. You might be going through a test. Whatever it is that, that you're going through, let me tell you, it's more, the, physical, the, the, the symptoms of your battle might manifest themselves physically, but the action is going on in the heavenlies. This is a spiritual battle. It is a battle of the flesh versus a battle of the spirit. Absalom represents the flesh. He is a fleshly king, and David represents the anointed, spirit-filled king of God. David, even though he sinned, is still walking in his anointing because he has been anointed to be the king of Israel. He is God's chosen one. Beloved, I got to tell you this. You are God's chosen one. You are God's anointed. You have been anointed to walk and serve God in the earth realm. And it is a matter that it is a battle for your anointing. It is a battle for your faith. It is a battle that, that, that Satan engages you in to try to take away from you what God has given you. He wants you to be fleshly and not faithful. He wants you to operate according to your will and the will of man rather than be submitted to his will. And so when God gives David 
this word and then gives him this particular strategy, he divides them in three. And then there's this conversation about where David is supposed to be. Because David, you know, he's older now. He's an old man. But he's thinking, look, I still got a bullet left in my gun. I can still humbug. I can still go after him. But they said, no, 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 no. This is not the position that we need you in. We need you in a position of power. We need you in that position of authority. We need you in a position to hear from God and command the troops. And so they said, David, not this time, because you're worth more to us in this position than you are out leading us. We got this. You just tell us what to do. You give the directions, and we'll handle it from there. And so in verse 4, the king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all the men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Itai, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of, these, to each of the commanders. The army marched into the field to fight Israel. And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. The battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There, the army of Israel was defeated by David's men, and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than the sword. Strategic positioning is a part of being in the place of victory. Notice where the battle takes place. Look at the two armies. The army of Israel far outnumbered David's men. There were many more of them than David than David had. But David, being a strategic warrior, takes the war to a place where the superior numbers are nullified because he has God on his side. Number one, watch this now. It says the forest killed more men than the sword. Because they were not prepared to fight a guerrilla war like David engaged them in, because they were not ready to move into that place and space in the manner of, uh, 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 of that of the guerrilla warriors that were with David because they drew them into an area that they didn't know how to maneuver in, God allowed the trees to kill them up. You see, when you are dealing in spiritual warfare, oftentimes all you got to do is what God said do. 
and he takes care of the rest. How many battles have we reviewed where, where the armies, uh, the enemy turned on each other and killed each other off, and never, we never lifted a sword up? How many times have you seen God do that? How many times have you seen God use nature to fight the battles of, the, of, of, of his children? Oh, just look, look, look. Here's, here's the forest doing the fighting. And then there were times, that we remember the time when they first came out of Egypt? Who did the fighting? Pharaoh's army didn't get killed by the children of Israel. Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea. God held back the wall and the water and let the children of Israel pass by. But here come Pharaoh and all his chariots. And what's the song say? Pharaoh's army got drowned. Yeah, that's what God is able to do. But now, 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 why is David? able to defeat Absalom. Absalom was what we call on the basketball court. Absalom was self-checking. Absalom was destined for destruction. Absalom was going forth in his flesh. Absalom was filled with pride. Let me work, let's work with pride for a second. Let's work with pride. Because you see, you, you see what this flesh thing, flesh will get you into a position of death. When you follow your own mind, when you take yourself out from under the hand of God, when you don't allow your, uh, uh, excuse me, when you fail to humble yourself, you're getting ready to walk in your pride. Let's talk about what pride is. Pride is an attitude. Pride is a person who shifts his confidence from God to himself. Pride is, a, is an attitude that says, I'm going to do it my way. Pride is an attitude that ignores God. Look, at, look, look let, me show you what, let me show you a real good def, uh, scriptural definition of pride. Turn and let's read Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah 48. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this in the ESV. Go this way. Jeremiah chapter 48. And this is a description of the pride of Moab. Uh, Jeremiah 48, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 29. And, I, and look, sometimes you've got to try on a dress to see if it fits. Sometimes you've got to try on a pair of pants to see if they fit you or some shoes to see if they fit you. I want you to try this passage of Scripture on to see if it fits you. And if it fits you, fall on your face and start repenting real quick, okay? Chapter 48, verse 29. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride, and his arrogance, and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declared the Lord. His boasts are false. His deeds are false. So look, here, here, here are some of the components of, of, of pride. Here's some of the components of pride. Right here in 29, it says pride is loftiness. It means having a high attitude of yourself, 
have a high opinion of yourself above what God has said. It's arrogance. It is having a haughtiness about yourself. You're just so good and you're just so special, and the rest of the people ain't nothing compared to me. They, they, they just dirt. That, that, that bum on the street, he ain't as good as I am and because I'm this and I'm that and I'm the other. That's haughtiness. Insolence. Boasting. That's pride. How can we, God, and, and, and look, look, what else about pride? Pride, the symptoms of pride is what I want to, I want to give you. If you, if you got an arrogant spirit, you're suffering from pride. If you're an overbearing individual, you know what an overbearing individual is. If, you, if that's you, uh-uh. If you have a condescending or a superior attitude, that is not a reflection of humility. That's pride. If you are boastful, you always got to brag. I got this, and I got that, and I got the other, and blah, blah, blah. I could do this, and I could do that, and I could do the other. That's pride. If your self-esteem is improper, and I'm not saying that you don't need to walk around here feeling bad about yourself. No, I'm not, I'm not feeding into this low self-esteem thing. I mean, if you esteem yourself, in a, a higher than everybody else, it, you know, you you walking around here and and everybody else is is dirty and you you know, you all that. No, that's pride. That's symptomatic of pride. If you're presumptuous, presumptuous basically the definition of presumptuous is knowingly overstepping God's boundaries, acting in a disobedient manner. You are, and you're doing it deliberately. You deliberately move outside the bounds of God. You deliberately take liberties that are not yours. You deliberately take stuff that is not yours. You deliberately violate the laws of God. You know what the law says. You know that the law says to love thy neighbor. And if you deliberately say, I ain't loving nobody. I hate that so-and-so and so-and-so. That's being presumptuous. That's being rebellious toward the word of God. And that is pride. That's symptomatic of pride. If you're critical, if you're critical, everything you see, oh, that's wrong. No, I ain't going to do that. That ain't the way to do that. No, that's pride. If you're impatient with people, if you can't wait until God fulfills the destiny of someone else, and you're saying, I'm, they, they're going to do this and they need to do that. Oh, that is symptomatic of pride. And what did we say, uh, what did we establish all along? Pride coming before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. That is a symptom of a person who will not place himself under God, but instead he says, I will ascend to the place of God. I will be above God. That's why pride is described as a loftiness or a high spirit. Or, as they say in, in Scripture, the sin of the high hand, lifting their hand above God's hand and lifting themselves above God. That is pride. Let me keep going. So, 
what's going to happen to Absalom. Trying to, I'm, try, I'm trying to get to the place that I want to be. First of all, we said that part of the, our, strategic, our strategy for warfare begins with prayer. Write that down. My strategy in the war begins with prayer. Secondly, my strategy in warfare involves an enemy assessment. Now, enemy assessment is what David has done already. We've gone through that already, but I, I want to give you something formal that you can put on paper. I've got to assess the enemy. And the way I assess the enemy is through prayer and getting a word from God concerning the enemy. Who is this enemy? What is his weapons? What are his capabilities? And what is the enemy's objectives? Well, we know in general that the, the objective of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. But how is he trying to steal from me? How is he trying to kill me? How is he trying to destroy me? What is the strategy that the enemy is going to use to come against me? That's what David does when he positions the priest and the prophets and, and the, the runners. He is discovering the enemy's strategy. Don't you know God will tell you what the enemy is trying to do to you and how he's trying to do it? Don't you know that God will expose that mm, he's trying to make you doubt so you don't believe? Don't you know that God is trying to say, mm, he's trying to get you to do this right here and behave this way, contrary to what I say. And so you've got to have a, a word when the devil takes Jesus into the wilderness and says, look, you hungry, boy. Turn these stones to bread. Jesus knows immediately what to do because he knows his strategy is to make bread his Lord. And so he knows immediately that he's trying to harness me physically by the things that I need. But Jesus, knowing what he knows, repeats back to Satan, man does not live by bread alone. So he takes him right back to the desert, right back to the experience of our forefathers who were in the wilderness, and God had to show them that y'all better stick Stop clamoring for bread. I'll give you bread from heaven. He said he tested them, and they learned man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then he turns back again at him, and he, he, he tempts him with power. And then he comes back again at him. And each time, each one of the devil's strategies are thwarted with the word of God. Mm. So, the position that you are in is important. And the position that, that, that it, it, let me back up. And everybody in this chapter has been positioned by God for victory. You are a part of the victory the position that you are in when you are functioning according to the word of God, that position will lead you to being in the right place to accomplish the will of God. And God sets us in, he positions us and equips us, not just with us, but with others. Look, 
turn over to um, Ephesians 4. Because God give you see, you're, not, you're never in this battle by yourself. I had, a, I had a situation just recently where I'm battling with some things, and I didn't get the understanding that I needed from the word. I, and, you know, God was telling me stuff, and I couldn't understand it. And so I had to call somebody. I had to call somebody and say, no, I'm not getting this. Look, Ephesians chapter 4. Turn here. I'm going to show you something. You see, because the body of Christ suffers because we got too many lone rangers. David is fighting this battle, and he ain't playing a long, he ain't playing a lone ranger. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Oh, I got I got to hurry too. Ephesians four, um, chapter eleven. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when we each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The priests and the prophets in Jerusalem praying and getting the word from God. The, the sons of the priest and prophet running and bringing the word of the Lord to the king. The king then commanding the warrior to split in three. That is the strategy that God uses to bring us to a point of victory. Look, go a little further. First Corinthians chapter 12. Because, I mean, God equips us. God has equipped the church and God has equipped you. You are part of God's strategy to bring victory to the earth. Go to uh, uh, First Corinthians chapter 12. Many sticky pages in this Bible. Watching my time. Chapter 12, uh, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What are you saying here, preacher? What I'm saying is that 
each of us in the battle has, within our own individual battles, have a collectiveness about us where we battle together as one. And we have a part in the battle, and God has appointed us to battle. We are all gifted warriors. Maybe I can make it a little plainer this way. I come from a fighting family. Mm-hmm. I come from a spiritual fighting family. I, my role in the family is I'm the preacher. I am the one that is given the gift of preaching, of giving the word of God, explaining the word of God, proclaiming the word of God, teaching the word of God, pastoring. That is my function within the body, within my, in my clan, my family unit. That's what I do. I have others within the family who have the gift of helps, the gift of healings, the gift of uh, prophecy, the gifts of administration and finance, that each one in this family, in the Burns family, has a gifting. And when we go to war and when we learn how to go to war together, because we ain't quite got it all the way there yet, when we learn how to go to war together, we get victory. But it all begins with prayer and submission, assessment of the enemy, what the enemy is trying to do, and then receiving the strategy that God gives us to employ. Some of us are still getting over pride. Some of us are still learning how to humble ourselves under the hand of God. But as we learn, we gain more and more victories. So now, the final point is you have to have the faith to engage the enemy. You see, even though David's numbers were small in comparison to Absalom, David had submitted himself to the will of God. He had received the word of God, and now by faith he goes forward and engages the enemy. And God fights the battle in the forest with the forest for him. I'm going to try to do two things before I close tonight. Okay, I'll try to do two things real quickly. i got 13 minutes. Go to verse 9. Go to verse 9. Taking you back in. Because I haven't given you the final piece of the strategy yet. I haven't given you that final piece of the strategy. Uh, uh, yes, I did. I gave it to you. but I, no, no, I haven't. Because you've got to know how to engage by faith. That's it. Now, Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak. Absalom's head got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw this, he said to Joab, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? 
then I would have had to give you ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But the man replied, even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hand, I would not lift my hand against the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Itai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. Then Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped pursuing Israel for Joab halted them. They took Absalom threw him into a big pit in the forest and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. So what, just, just quickly, just very, very quickly. This passage speaks for itself, but there's one thing that I want to point out to you. What got Absalom caught? His pride. His pride. What was he prideful about? That head of hair his? And that head of hair got caught up. Remember, he was so pretty. He was prideful about his hair. And when he cut it, it was five pounds of hair every year because it was too heavy for his head. And that heavy-headed boy who took himself up higher, who placed himself above the king, who placed himself above the law, who placed himself above the word, got caught by his pride. Stop for a minute. Stop for a minute and, and, and just let's just reflect on something. Remember I told you I spent time early on talking about the things that are symptomatic of pride and how pride is a person who lifts himself up and thinks too high of himself. Pride is a person who deliberately goes against or rebels against the word of God. How pride, the symptoms of pride, let me go, go back to them real quick if I can find them. Because I wanted arrogance, presumptuousness, being overbearing, condescending, boastful, critical, impatient. Seeing those symptoms. Think about it for a second. Think about it. Pray over it. And you, that's flesh. That's flesh. And it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be exposed. It needs to be repented of. But now, let me give you this. We talked about the strategy. We, we said it was a strategy to win the war. Remember that? It began with prayer. It began with assessment. It began with being positioned properly. 
finally it begin and, and you want to be positioned properly because God moves and God moves at the appointed time. God moves at an appointed time. In the Greek, that time that God is going to move, that time of 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 uh, is not chronos, which is the systematic, how time is ordered systematically, but it's kairos. Kairos, when you are positioned properly and you move to the place of kairos, kairos is a a, a, an, a season of opportunity. It's a, it's a critical or a decisive point in your battle of faith, in your battle to do the will of God. You have to be positioned so when, at, in the, when as they say, in due season, in Kairos, Jesus kept saying, look, look, he used the word Kairos. He said, it's not my time. And they didn't use the word Kronos there. They used the word Kairos. It is not the time of, this, of, of a decisive move of God. It is, Kairos is a, a time for opportunity. Kairos is a time when God is going to move in such a manner that you are blessed or delivered or released or, 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 or redeemed or whatever it is for you. It is a time where you can accomplish exactly what God has purposed in your life. And so when you are positioned properly, when the oil begins to flow, it hits you smack dab in the middle of the head. You're not over two feet away and the oil hit the ground and missing you. It's, you don't miss your blessing because why? You have been engaged in warfare and you are properly positioned. You are functioning in humility. Mm, Got to go. Got to get ready to go now. Hold on. Finally, finally in this passage. So how do we engage in spiritual warfare? Turn to 1 Peter. Quick, quick, quick. Let's do it this way. Let me do it this way. 1 Peter. Chapter 5. He's gonna give, he gives us the formulas for spiritual warfare right there. Um, verse 6. Here it is. You ready? This is how you're going to engage in spiritual warfare, to win your battle. Here it is right there. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That proper time is kairos right there, that you may be exalted. Uh -uh. The, the, the proud will try to exalt themselves, and God resists the proud. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What did David do? David released all of that stuff. He says, look, if God called me back, he called me back. He's going to do whatever he wants to do in this situation. I have humbled myself. Humbling yourself is placing your trust in God and saying, come with me. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then he says, be sober-minded. 
basically, be alert. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. The devil is going to bring temptation. He's going to try to lead you into trials. He's going to try to oppress you, depress you, make you doubt. But he says, resist him firm in your faith. When you do your assessment and God shows you what the devil is throwing at you, to resist him means to war with him. Jesus went to war with the devil in the, in the desert. What does it say? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Jesus began to speak the word on the devil. Jesus tells us, the whole I give you power over serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. Well, what is our power? Our power is a power to speak with authority and power and command the devil to get out of here. Keep going. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, listen to his promise, after you have suffered a little while, after you've gone through, after you have passed the test of faith, because you do know that God is in control of even the, the spiritual battles that you are facing right now. After you have gone through faithfully and have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, <laughs> who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, Will himself, watch this now, watch this, 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 this gets weak. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever, amen. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and what happens? The angels minister to him. God is going to restore you. God is going to confirm you. God is going to strengthen you, and God is going to establish simply because, mm, 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 I'm going to go a minute over, simply because you did what? Humbled yourself? That's your strategy. You have, have, have uh, under his hand. In other words, you place yourself, God, I'm under you. And when God places his hand on you, I'm Jesus. Hallelujah. Y'all about to preach. You cast your cares on him. You've been alert. You fought the good fight of faith. You've held on to the word of God. Not only have you held on and obeyed the word of God, but you have proclaimed the word of God. You've been obedient as a disciple, going out and telling everybody to the uttermost Jesus saves. Hallelujah. Then, that's your season of Kairos. Then, that's your opportune time. Then, that's your time of breakthrough. That's your time of victory. Absalom's pride. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit. Fall. Absalom's pride got him caught up 
and killed. Absalom fulfilled his purpose in the earth realm. Absalom proved that God's word is true. What you going to prove? Go back and read the passages again. Go back and study the notes. God has not called you to destruction. God has called you to life. God has called you to victory. God has called you to be an overcomer. God has called you to be a disciple. God has called you to go forth and bring his word to the masses. God has called you to be his servant. God has placed you within the body to function and to build and to help grow. God has made you an instrument of his love. And he wants us to walk out his purpose by faith. But we got to fight. And he's given you the strategy for fighting. He's given you the key to how to win the battle. And the battle begins with humbling ourselves. The battle begins with placing ourselves in the proper position, for when we place ourselves in the proper position, we enjoy the blessings of God in due season. We are in the right place at the right time for God. Well, that's all I can get through tonight. I'll pick up here, um, and I'll, pro- I'll probably go back to uh, verse 14 and pick up right there. 18:14 uh, is where we'll 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 pick up next week. But did you see it tonight? I pray that you are blessed. I pray that that you have. Um, Receive from the word of God. I pray even right now as you're reading this passage again and as you go through the passages over the next week that God would give you even more revelation specifically for your life. Because God loves you. And God wants to do great things for you. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for blessing us with your word. Now, O God, as we go into battle, be with us. Lead us and guide us to victory as only you can. We humble ourselves before you. We listen now for that word, that word that reveals what the enemy wants to do and the strategy that you want us to follow. We humble ourselves. We cast our cares upon you because we know you care for us. And we know that in due season that you'll exalt us, that you'll get the glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a wonderful, wonderful time. I pray again that you have been blessed and that God would keep you and that we would meet again next week as we continue in our study of Second Samuel uh, um, into the life of David. Be blessed and have a wonderful, wonderful week.